We remain standing this morning in honor of the gospel reading, uh, which comes from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. So hear now these words. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, Well, what is it you want me to do for you? James and John said to Jesus, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized, but... To sit at my right hand or at my left, that's not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it's been prepared. Now when the other ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them all together and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones, they are tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be a servant to all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Our children are now dismissed to continue with children's worship. I know that Carol and I have typically been tasked with making sure our young people grow to be responsible, but she and I did run around in the street a bunch yesterday morning, um, and so I'm not holding on to this lectern or this pulpit because I'm afraid. It's because I'm struggling to stand up. I will say, too, a point of uh, notice, you are permitted an I guess uh, at Highland, which means, you know, we say this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, but in the 930 I whispered to Kathy, I guess, after the Job reading. Um, So this morning, if you were wondering about that tricky Job reading, reading, you were right. Um, It is quite tough, and we're looking to find some good news here uh, with James and John, who were, of course, the sons of Zebedee, and they still believed in Jesus. But James and John, they had seen enough to be afraid They had seen miracles beyond their wildest dreams. They were present at the transfiguration, and they had seen Elijah and Moses, and much, much more. But before we find them in Mark this morning, Jesus has just foretold of his own betrayal and death. And so James and John were afraid. They could feel chaos drawing near, though it was not there just yet. Their lives again and again had been disrupted. All of us know, actually, I think, what it's like for life to be disrupted. We know what it feels to want the universe to fit together just right, but find instead that things are rarely like we would like them to be. Sometimes, I confess, and I hope you will with me, we latch on to small petty things for our resentment. I was talking with our youth about all the things that disrupt their lives recently, and 
they helped with this list, and I added some things of my own. So see if this works for you. People who walk slow. People who tell you to do something when you're already planning on doing it. People chewing with their mouths open and eating loudly. People not using their turn signals until they're already turning. Some of you may have been in the grocery before seeking to get an item off the shelf when another customer has happened to leave their grocery cart blocking the aisle, leaving them in need of some direction. Some people are deeply frustrated by those who are late. Others are deeply frustrated and disrupted by those who are early. Small things disrupt the way we'd like the universe to fit together on a daily basis. But you know and I know that disruptions are not always so small. Sometimes even they are quite serious. We know that disruption is on a spectrum that can slip into chaos sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly. And when we feel that chaos drawing close, whether it is already present or close in the future, we worry that it's approaching and we begin to become afraid. So we know what it's like to be James and John. Our youth and I also talked about the more difficult things that disrupt our lives. Sickness and disease, including addiction and mental health, sometimes out of the blue, but sometimes chronic and lifelong. Persistent use of slurs that are meant to degrade women or people of color or the LGBTQ community or those with mental disabilities are still too prevalent in so-called humor. Some of you will know that not being rich is incredibly disruptive. Many Americans, far more than half, don't even have $500 in an account for an emergency. People work all the time, more than one job, and maybe sometimes even two or three, and they still don't have enough to afford caring for themselves and their loved ones. Debt, I would say, is deeply disruptive. For many, many people, we can't get out from underneath it. Racism is disruptive. Whether we are awoken to its reality or not, much less often talked about, I think, at Highland as well, is if you or someone you love is convicted of a crime, it's disruptive. I read this week in the New York Times about a young man who, when he was 16, out of desperation and mistakes, participated in a carjacking, and he served eight years in penitentiaries, going around and around in an inhumane system. Now, at 40 years old, he's married, he has two young children, and he has graduated from a prestigious law school, but the bar is not quite sure that he's fit to practice. His life has been disrupted. Divorce is another that causes disruption. It impacts those not just immediately involved, but those who love and depend on them. On and on and on, we know what disruption and chaos look like. And we know that this chaos had made James and John afraid, just as it makes us afraid, but they, like us, still believed in something. And they approached Jesus with a question. They were asking, in fact, for security. Tell us, they said, are we going to be okay Tell us that we will. Tell us that we'll sit next to you when all these things come to pass. Tell us that we're going to be safe. But Jesus, of course, doesn't lead with the good news. He gets there, but he doesn't lead with it. Instead, telling them, you don't know what you're asking for. They wanted to receive their answer and receive safety from the one they followed, but they were told instead, well, this isn't exactly what you think. 
And of course it isn't. The good news is almost never exactly what we want it to be. And so Jesus answers these two disciples that they must drink of his cup and be baptized with his baptism. He doesn't guarantee their place at his right and his left, reserved, actually, we find out, for those who have been convicted of crimes. They, the disciples, James and John, they wanted honor. They wanted security. They wanted to feel safe and protected, and they rushed ahead of everyone else to ask for it because they were afraid. And so the other disciples, the other ten as they often are with each other, they are angry and they start arguing. But Jesus interrupts their argument and tells them, no, the only thing that will save you from all of this, it's servanthood, true servanthood. James and John, asking to be put first, misunderstood. They were selfish in their fear. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. You must become servants of all. So like the disciples We hear ourselves in this text. We know what it's like for life to be disrupted. We know what it's like for chaos to break in. We know what it's like to be afraid. And we know what it's like, I think, to reach out in desperation for security and for safety. When we are operating out of fear and out of worry about chaos, we too often seek to care only for ourselves. Help me, as the saying goes. But Jesus' response is that even when life is most chaotic, serve one another. Now, there's an important piece that we haven't touched on yet, so I'm going to offer a lot of correction to everything that I've just said and some additions. In our passage, we can't forget that Jesus calls us to question those who are in power. He says there are those among the Gentiles, and we can imagine those among our own society who will lord their authority over you and those who will act as tyrants. When everyone is afraid and chaos creeps in, there are those who seize power and they use it to put other people down. Ultimately, I think the powerful are afraid in their hearts, just like we've been, but their power is such that they have the ability to decide who is worthy of love and dignity and respect. I have been too political before in a sermon, but I don't think that I need to be in this one. We know people all across the spectrum who fit this category, using power to put other people out. But that's the kind of power that James and John, they're reaching for. They say, Jesus, well, you're a powerful guy. Can't you just make us first? And Jesus says, no, that may be the way the world works, but it's not the way that God works. Serve one another, and then you will be saved. Power will not save you. Serving in humility and love will save you. You don't know what you're asking for. Jesus calls us not to cling tightly to the resources we have, but to let go and to help others. Whether it's our time, our letters, our words, our advocacy, our friendship, our showing up, all of it matters. This could be a faithful giving sermon, but in truth, in the chaos of the weekend, I did not even remember that it was. So I'm not talking about finances specifically. We're missing the whole point if that's all we think about. Your life will be saved, in fact, if you can figure out how to fit yourself to be of maximum service to others and to God. That's the truth. It won't come from power no matter how much of it you seek or run towards. Serving one another fully and freely, that's what will save you. But i got to do some cleaning up, and so here's an important one. 
What I do not mean to suggest is that the answer to racism or sexism or debt or homophobia or any of the big systemic injustices, the solution is not just individual acts of service. If generosity of good individuals was enough to put an end to these things, they would be gone long ago. But I think perhaps the ultimate answer to those things includes reparations for black and indigenous Americans. It looks like debt forgiveness without condition. It looks like repentance and a a turn towards more just policies. I think all of that and feel it deeply, but if, and I say this from experience, if we only keep our mind in the injustice, in the systemic injustices that perpetuate chaos into the lives of so many in our country, we will be overwhelmed. So what I do mean to suggest is that while we must work for justice on a big level through policies and political systems, those things alone, political power, will not save us. It might even kill us. What I do mean to suggest is that Jesus is against the abuse of power, and he calls his disciples to serve those they encounter with generosity and with love, to give these things without interest here in this life, to share freely. Serving one another in this way will give us the strength and the endurance to run the race that is set before us. And I will close now with a practical suggestion that I've learned from you, the people of Highland. What I've learned is that we have to make a habit of talking about the chaos in our lives with each other. Many of the people who come into our building, and I see a lot of them, are and the people that I see who are the most connected, they're all doing the same thing. They are sharing on what their lives are really like in Bible studies and small groups and NA and AA meetings and other spaces where they have found the courage to let other people in. They are talking about hard things and about good things. And that's service. They are serving one another by listening and loving one another week in and week out. So my suggestion to you is that you try that out if you aren't already. When you share with others and serve others in that way, you give up a little bit of power over your own life and your own story. But you also gain far more That's what Jesus calls us to do, to serve one another, to give up a little bit of power and control. Be encouraged, find rest, love each other. And in doing that, we will push fear out, that fear that occupies so much of our lives, and make just a little bit more room for God. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.